You know, Thomas, I don't know what you're talking about half the time. Why is it? I don't know. I mean, you just go on and on talking about nothing. Why can't you have a normal conversation? You're always trying to sound like some damn medicine man or something. I mean, how many times have you seen dances with wolves? A hundred, two hundred? Ah, oh, jeez. You have seen it that many times, haven't you? Don't you even know how to be a real Indian? I guess not. Well, <laughs> shit, no wonder, jeez. I guess I'll have to teach you then, eh? First of all, quit grinning like an idiot. Indians ain't supposed to smile like that. Get stoic. You gotta look mean or people won't respect you. White people run all over you if you don't look mean. You gotta look like a warrior. You gotta look like you just came back from killing a buffalo. Sequel. Re re reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we are back on the mainland on our cinematic trek across America. This week, we're in the Gem State. This state's name came from a politician named George M. Willing, claiming that it was a Shoshone word meaning gem of the mountains. But it turns out that it was bullshit, and Willing wanted to name it after a little girl named Ida, which is a weird thing to do. Another strange thing to happen in this state was Evil Knievel's jump at Snake River Canyon on a rocket cycle. If you've been to this jump site, you've been in Idaho. Dan, if you could name a state after a little girl, what would you name it? I I don't know, but I certainly wouldn't put Ho after their name. <laughs> that is one of the few correct answers to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I would call it a no-brainer, but I, I maybe not. Yeah. Maybe that's that's a thing that people do. I, but I, what, what I would, you know what, though, I would certainly find a good bullshit excuse to do it. Right on. Yeah, Dan, I, so we're in Idaho on this episode, which is our first Pacific Northwest episode, which is where you and I both reside. So even though it's uh, a state away for both of us, it still feels a little closer to home. So that's comforting. Yes, well, and um, our the screenwriter of Smoke Smoke Signals, yes, Sherman Alexi, was uh, uh, even though this takes place on uh, the Cordeline, partially the Cordeline Reservation in in Idaho, he grew up on the. the Spokane Reservation in Washington State. Right, which is Spokane is eastern Washington. It's just across the border from Idaho. Y- yeah, and- it's close. I mean there's even there's a significant scene that takes place at the Spokane Falls in right. Smoke Signals. And also Chris Iyer, the director from Portland, Oregon, where I live. So we uh-huh. both have our Pacific Northwest corners spoken for uh represented fully in this film. Dan, have you ever been to Idaho? Never been to Idaho. Me either. Yep. I I I know people who are from there and who go back to visit frequently. I hear it's lovely. Everything I've seen from it makes it seem like it's a really beautiful place. Uh and I would love to go visit sometime. 
there are certainly some moments during uh, the movie Smoke Signals where they're, you know, on their trek and it's just like, oh, that's pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's I, the impression I get is that a lot of the landscape of of Idaho is is pretty. I that's the impression I get. I can't think of a reason why I would I would go to Idaho. I don't know anyone. Well, don't you want to visit there? the jump site of Evil Knievel's, uh, where is it, Snake River Canyon jump? Oh, yes, of of course, <laughs> yes. But I think of that as almost a state in and of itself, uh, uh, separate sure. from Idaho. Well, I'd also say, like, you know, you and I the 50, are... The, the real 51st state, really, is oh, called sure. the site of Evil Knievel's <laughs> jump at Snake River Canyon. Well, I was going to say, you know, you know, you and I aren't really, like, outdoorsy people uh we don't ski i realize that there's some good skiing out in idaho um is that where sun valley is yes that's in idaho i hear that it's a lovely ski town so i i mean that's just not part of who we are idaho has idaho has a lot to offer just not to me or john sure i would love to see it and and other than this film (laughs) yeah yeah so dan I feel like we should just jump right into this and, and start talking about this Let's, film because absolutely. I I know that we probably both have a lot to say. I think we do. Shall I begin with a synopsis? Synopsize away. <laughs> Victor and Thomas are two young men who venture from the Coeur d'Alene Reservation in Idaho to Arizona in order to retrieve the ashes of Victor's abusive and then absent father, Arnold. Victor has always felt slightly annoyed by Thomas, but that feeling is far from mutual. Thomas, who is the more spiritual of the two, feels bonded to Victor, especially since he was rescued by Arnold, Victor's dad, as an infant during a house fire. During their travels, Victor tries to shed Thomas of the, of the spiritual Indian stereotypes imposed on him by popular culture and instead instill him with the more stoic attributes in order to scare away white folks. During this time, they learn a lot about themselves, each other, and also Arnold, whose life was more complicated than they both realized. So, Dan, I know that you have uh, quite a bit of background, at least with the source material, uh, you know, Sherman Alexie's work. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Right. So in my work as a language arts teacher, I have taught in the past Sherman Alexie's The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, and have also taught some of Sherman Alexie's short stories, have also acknowledged in my teachings that Sherman Alexie has a checkered reputation sure. due to his mis- um, allegations of misconduct, which I, I guess we can go farther than saying they're allegations because he himself has fessed up to the misconduct. Misconduct, and, period. End of story. Yes, absolutely. So... So, yes, there's that trouble, and I want to acknowledge that, and I want to bring that out because i I don't want to I don't want that to checker this conversation where we're focusing mainly on uh, on smoke signals, yeah, and alexi's and and that part of Alexi's career, which uh, predates to, to the best of my knowledge any of his misconduct. Oh, so absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so smoke signals is based largely on a uh, a loosely connected collection of short stories he wrote called the Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven. Right. Yeah. And of course, there's the line in Smoke Signals about the about uh, Victor and Thomas being the Lone Ranger and and Tonto. And then is it which Thomas like Tonto and Tonto? Yeah. Right. And which is very uh, characteristic of Sherman Alexie's work. He's a, a writer who, as I stated before, is was a member of the Spokane tribe and was uh, or grew up on the uh, Spokane reservation. And that he is uh, he himself is indigenous. This film being the first the first at least like mainstream i guess made mainstream you know it was independent but it was a miramax sure, film yeah. in 1998 so which is I, which also like side a miramax film in 19 well a miramax film in 1998 also won best picture yeah so smoke signals uh it, it came out in that year uh, big year for that but it was the first big film to be entirely written, directed, produced, and and starring primarily an indigenous cast. Yeah. And the other thing with Sherman with Sherman Alexie and and Sherman Alexie's work, he does make a lot of reference to both history and, and it's kind of it's flippant. And what you get a lot of in Alexie is the humor that came about as a way of as a way of of dealing sure. with the really severe marginalization yeah of of indigenous tribes it's it's really uh when you when you learn about it and when you you look back and it really was a a, a genocidal campaign by the United States government and and what you see in in this movie and in Alexi's work is how you see the direct result of that. You see yeah. how the I mean, even in so all right, fry bread, sure, fry bread is a big that's like a staple of indigenous cuisine in North America, and it's really common, especially in in Alexi's work. And stories like the one that that Thomas tells about Victor's mother having to serve all who made the best fry bread. Yeah. Fry bread was basically it's comparable to matzah for for Jews, the the bread that we had that that had to have been made in the, you know, 40 day and 40 night biblical you know uh journey exodus out right. of, out of egypt so it's kind of it's this bread of that represents oppression and fry bread was also made as um indians were and i'm i'm saying indians a lot because that is the term that alexi uses sure and it's a yeah. term that has been embraced so I'm I actually I prefer to use indigenous people. We may flop back and forth between a, a few different yeah. ones. I know that Sherman Alexie preferred, you know, to to self-identify as Indian. That is not everybody's preference. So, right, yeah, I I 
just to just to put it out there, that's my what I try to use is indigenous as I feel like mm-hmm. it's the most accurate and respectful for, coming from me. So right, and if somebody does choose to self-identify <laughs> as one one or another, then certainly if that's something that is known knowledge that we're aware of, we'll stick to that. Right. Um, but the, you know, the idea of indigenous meaning, you know, the, the people who are native to this land is, and it, it says a lot in that when the, when they were forcibly removed from their land and given all these United States government, like lard and all the, yeah, of course, terrible. So and th- so they made fry bread. Mm-hmm. That was what what they did. And uh, but I read I read this and I'm thinking like, wow, they were just giving these people just the like unhealthiest, yeah, stuff. Sure. I, I can't even say food. Just the unhealthiest stuff. It's I mean, reservations were staffed with subpar. It, doctors it was the doctors who couldn't practice anywhere else it was the the drunks who mm-hmm. like no town would want them so they got sent to these reservations teachers who either just didn't give a shit or who were really there to to convert because you also had the missionaries coming out into two reservations and uh forcibly removing children from families so what you have with with Sherman Alexi is all of that in the rearview mirror, and he throws around words like Custer, kind of the way, it's right. kind of the same way Mel Mel Brooks did uh, Hitler, right? And there's that humor, but it's also there's that bitterness in the humor and that sense of like you know we're laughing because we've cried all the tears we have, mm-hmm. so this is really all that we have. All that we have left is is to laugh at it and everything from that to uh, cultural representations or misrepresentations. Sure, yeah. And, you know, that the iconic character of Tonto. Right. And what I have also found, and I, I did a little bit of reading, uh, you know, some articles, because I didn't want to just only, uh, you know, express my my views on it as a white person i wanted to make sure that i was reading information that was put out there by journalists who were themselves indigenous and i you know did see a lot of criticism about this movie where it does have it's trying to find the balance of hey we recognize that this movie was really big for you know mass media pop culture for indigenous people but also it's really bad in the way that it represents uh, a lot of indigenous people and it's very outdated and maybe does more harm than good in some of the ways that it's representing uh, indigenous folks. And there was in high country news, there's a, uh, an article that's written that's called smoke signals was needed, but it doesn't hold up. There's an article that was written. uh, It's, it's on a, a blog that's about diversity in film uh, from Xavier University in 2019 called the quote-unquote real Indian man as constructed through a real Indian stereotype that's all about smoke signals. And uh, it's a a really, they're both really fascinating reads just about how, you know, these characters and the things that they're trying to put forth, 
you know, at that time, sure, we hadn't been hearing these perspectives, but, you know, that has at least paved the way to open up the discussion and to create more opportunities for people to give perhaps a better outlook, uh, maybe a more accurate outlook on identity for people who are of, you know, indigenous cultures in in uh, in this country. So it's it's been a really fascinating uh, experience to to explore this more. And uh, what I've really also loved is going in and looking at some of the um, you know the the TV shows and and I haven't watched any other movies necessarily, but TV shows for sure uh, that are out right now that are showing indigenous culture. I mean, just right now, the curse, the one that's on Paramount Plus with Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie. Dan, I don't know if you've caught any of it. it only two episodes have aired. So I have far. not. Uh, I have not. It yeah. is wild, and it deals, you know, because it's from the perspective of these two white people who are, you know, it's white savior complex. You know, they're trying to, you know, improve things for this town of people who are in these indigenous communities. Uh, Nathan Fielder's character used to work at a casino, a casino on a reservation. And, you know, it's just very exploitative the way that they're approaching even their so, so-called friends who are, um, you know, indigenous themselves and being as it is nathan fielder and, and benny safty of course it is very like cringy and uncomfortable to watch uh-huh. because you're just like no don't say that that's awful don't do that and i uh, i also noticed that you know the season two opener for the show reservation dogs is the the episode title is called the curse and have you ever seen Res- reservation mm-hmm. dogs uh, yeah, I saw several episodes in the first season. In, in fact, it actually it's it struck me how I I feel like it's it's a kind of a descendant of of Smoke Signals. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, also Gary Farmer, yeah. who plays Arnold, is well, in yes. the Curse and in Reservation Dogs. He's the uh, uncle. He's the un- like like yeah, the like um, burnt the stoner. Is he right? Somebody's yeah. uncle, I think. Yeah. And he's right, yeah, great, that. and such a different character, which is so refreshing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I, Reservation Dogs. I watched the first season, and then I've I've been getting into the second season, and it's so good, and it definitely feels so yeah. refreshing. Um, you know, seeing you know from 1998 where things kind of started. It's definitely that meme of like you know, how it started, how it's going, you know, the, how it started right. it with, <laughs> with smoke signals where it, it's a little bit more binary. It doesn't really show all the dimensions that it could be showing. And then you have reservation right. dogs where it's so layered and it really gets into more of the humor of life of people who live on a reservation and, you know, then going outward into other parts of, you know, so far I've just seen the country and seeing how those those things play out, which is great because, you know, what we're watching here in Smoke Signals, it's a, it's a road movie. It's a journey movie. It's a road trip. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, especially as they leave the reservation, they get onto a bus that, you know, has all white people on it who, of course, give them funny looks and... 
even when somebody's being nice to them, it's hard to for them, or at least for Victor, to accept that this person is being genuinely nice. You know, he is very suspicious of anybody else, and so he always has to put on this stoic face, whereas Thomas you know, sees what could be the best in people and assumes that people have good intentions and, uh, you know, takes on this spiritual, uh, this spiritual Indian character to maybe uh, see, meet white people where they are and where they would see, you know, indigenous folks, because this is what he's seen in movies i mean they they make a big point of just like oh how many times have you seen last of the mohicans dancing with wolves like dances with wolves like they make a big point to say like oh what he knows about his own place in the world he gets from these other movies and uh, mm-hmm. and tv shows and uh, i thought that that was a really fascinating way to kind of introduce us to this character and uh i thought that thomas was great i love thomas Right. Yeah. yeah. Played well, by and Thomas, uh, and, Evan Adams. Right. Yeah. And and these are characters that that find their way into a lot of Alexi's work. And a lot of them are very autobiographical, mm-hmm. especially absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian, which mm-hmm. focuses the main character in that his name is his name is Arnold. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's He's basically Alexi, but it's a different, it's not the same character. Mm-hmm. He is Alexi as a, a 14 year old living on the Spokane reservation and then just like feeling like there's not a place for him there because, uh, so Alexi was born with, uh, I want to say it's hydrocephalus. Oh, really? Hydro. Yes. It's, um, yeah. Like when, when there's, um, an abnormally large amount of cerebral fluid in the brain's ventricular uh, system. Whoa, what does that do so, to you? Well, you, uh, what does it do to you? Yeah. He had to have brain surgery when he was six Oof. months old and he, he, he had oh, I see. other it's, side I effects. See. I'm looking it up and it's, it seems like it's something, you know, that you have from birth and it's pretty much taken care of when you're an infant. Yeah, but if it's not taken care of, it can be very, very, very bad. But and he had a, he had a big head, mm. so and uh, on the reservation, like he so he couldn't do like a lot of athletics. Couldn't there were a lot of things that he couldn't do because of his condition, and it was kind of like he was not. It's like he wasn't, you know, quote unquote Indian enough for the other folks on the reservation. That's a big thing being Indian enough. Mm-hmm. right and he wasn't white like you know white enough to fit in he ends up going to the to a high school off the reservation and he's the only indigenous person there he winds up um playing for the basketball team at the school but meanwhile his his best friend it's kind of like a thomas and victor thing mm-hmm. he's got this best friend who like his best friend is the one who's like he's cool and he's he's the athlete but he also isn't as like isn't as witty right and like also like arnold draws a lot of things he and he'll he'll represent a lot of and it's it's not the 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 native american stereotypes he's representing the stereotypes as well 
but also just the reality of it. Like there's this picture he draws that's that's him and half is wearing like dressed the way that your average 14 year old boy would dress on mm-hmm. the reservation. It's, you know, he's got like little labels like, you know, Kmart sneakers. Oh, okay. Uh, like Lee's jeans. Uh, and meanwhile, the other half is like, it, you know, a white kid. Right, right, right. And it's more, yeah, designer and yeah, hip, more hip. So, yeah, it's so, so Alexi, so you find these characters a lot. You also find there's a lot of, um, a lot of commonalities in Absolutely True Diary of a Part Time Indian, Arnold's sister and her, I think, husband are killed in a fire and like they're drunk. Oh, so fires are a big fires and alcohol, which I mean, alcohol is, you know, alcoholism is known to be or has been known to be prevalent on uh, reservations, historically speaking. Oh, because the government made sure that. uh, Yep. Absolutely. Government made sure that the folks had, had plenty of access to that and uh yep just among yeah. the other really awful yeah. oh, awful things i, I want to go back to one one thing really quick you know you were talking about how uh the government set up uh, a lot of reservations with you know doctors who were you know bottom of the barrel and uh as you were talking about that it really made me think of reservation dogs with bobby lee's character who's the doctor at like the local health clinic on, on the reservation and he's just i I have to imagine that it's like, okay, he's like barely a doctor, you know, he, Mm -hmm. he has the qualifications, but if anybody anywhere else would walk into a doctor's office and, and he would walk in, they'd be like, nope, I'm out of here. Right. Right. Yeah. So I know that you're probably referring to, uh, you know, earlier days, uh, you know, in in health clinics for, um, for doctors on, on reservations, but it it still rings true in uh, the in the world of reservation dogs. Oh right, yeah, no, 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 a- absolutely. It's still it it's there's still that sense of right. We're not getting the uh, you know the the grade A. We're not getting McDreamy here. over here. We're not getting George Clooney. No, <laughs> no, we're getting Bobby no Lee. No one who. <laughs> no one who has ever worked at Sloan Gray Memorial is <laughs> is uh, you know clocking in at the reservation. Clinic. Although Pacific Northwest, so they were they were that's they true were nearby. But yeah, well, I I, I do talk wanna... about that. With the talk that would be a good season of Grays. I I watch, <laughs> watch that. Uh, sure, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty amazing. Um, there we go. There's my idea. So uh, I, I mentioned, you know, I really enjoyed Evan Adams, uh, who played Thomas. Uh, I really thought that he was fantastic. I thought that Adam Beach was really great as Victor, but I got to tell you, Victor's wig at the end, that's oh, hard to watch. That's kind of just it, like, a, oh, we were, yeah. we were, we could have been so much better if only we just we, tried a little bit harder. The wig budget had maybe 30 more dollars in it. I don't know why he didn't just shave his head. <laughs> well, I imagine that they didn't shoot I mean, things in order. I there there had to have been uh, something yeah. with that, but I uh, it was a particularly bad wig. Um, however, I will say yeah. that the 
the aging that they did for Arnold, I thought was very good. I I was pretty impressed oh, with yeah. uh with Gary Farmer's, you know, difference in age because he's, you know, he starts off and he's probably in his 20s and then we see him in his 40s and then maybe 60s. Uh Yeah. Maybe yeah. even less amount I mean, of time he- than that, but I thought that it was very good. And also Irene uh, Bedard, who plays Susie, who was the voice of Pocahontas in Disney's Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she was fantastic. Oh. Um, I I thought that the the casting all around was really strong. And shout out Tom Skerritt as the, uh, the, the cop uh, towards the end. Which I like to imagine that he's the same. It's the same character from Harold and Maude who pulls over Maude when she's stealing the tree. <laughs> Tom Skerritt just like, you know, gets transferred to Phoenix or wherever that that police uh, station is. Uh, did you know Tom Skerritt's 90 years old? I'd looked this up before we started recording. Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, he sure is. I'm, I'm looking at this right now. <laughs> I, I feel like for such a long time, he was just kind of frozen in, in an agelessness and... Uh, I was trying to think, like, when is the last time I even saw Tom Skerritt? And it looked like he's done some work as recently as 2021. But, yeah, dude's 90 years old. I, I hope he's doing well. I uh, I always love 90. seeing Tom Skerritt. Also, great name. Love the name Tom Skerritt. It's the name that oh, you have to yeah. say the whole thing. Tom Skerritt, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I, I thought that it was a really yeah. strong cast. I. Uh, it was really. Oh, he lives in Seattle. Oh, does he? Tom Skerritt. Cool. Look out for him. Uh, it, I will. It was really cool. You know, it is the year 2023. We certainly see a lot more indigenous representation in movies and in TV shows and not just ones that are about indigenous people and indigenous communities. And uh, to to then go back to a movie from 1998 and uh, kind of see where where this all kind of started, like where people kind of got their entry into it. It was a really neat way to recognize the the progress, even though I feel like from 1998, there was still was a long time before there really was much movement. And it seems like in just in the past few years, we're starting to get more movement as far as representation goes. And there's still such a long way to go. And I'm hopeful for the future. Uh, and and also, I don't know if it's a, uh, you know, a direct result of just being involved with more, I guess, community activism around indigenous communities. I mean, you know, certainly the Dakota Pipeline issue that came up back in 2015, 2016, you know, that's 2016, yeah. early 2016. Yeah, it's 2016. Uh, when when that was going on, that seemed to be, you know, when I at least became more aware of artists and other, uh, you know, uh, indigenous people who were creating work to reflect the uh, present day struggles in their communities and i really hope i i mean look i live in portland oregon this is a bubble it is famously a a you know it is a liberal bubble but like immediately outside of this liberal bubble it is uh very very red oh yeah and i yep. 
I, I understand that I am seeing a lot more than maybe what some other people are seeing out there when it comes to artists and creators who are really making work to reflect the, uh, the unique struggles of people who do come from these indigenous communities. And, um, I, I hope to see just way more of that. I mean, Reservation Dogs, I mean, I think there's already been three seasons and I don't think that it's ending anytime soon. So I'm. Oh, no, I think it just did end. Is it? Did it just end? Okay. I think the most, the current season was the last. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, But it's, you know, just kind of its popularity was so strong and I'm so optimistic for where things can keep it going from here. Well, yeah, and that's the great. That's the other thing now is I with with TV. A show, I like that less shows are overstaying their welcome. Yeah, and that and that those those writers are moving from those shows and then taking other opportunities yeah. and moving into other shows and ha- and telling more stories. You know, it's it's funny that you that you say that because I feel like uh especially recently, it's like I look on Instagram and I see like deadline post something and it's just like some TV show that I've never heard of. It's just it, it's just like, you know, Whispering Eyes is ending on CW after 32 seasons and I'm just like <laughs> I've never heard of this. Or like today or today it was like Blue Bloods is ending after 17 seasons. I'm just like it's still on the air. Blue Bloods is still around. What? I saw today that Deadline reported that Blue Bloods was ending, and I was so shocked that it was still on the air. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I am taken aback. Um, <laughs> that I, is I'm something. so sorry to break the news to you, but I mean, that's it's true. Blue Bloods is finally. I mean, no good for end. Blue Bloods for. For lasting this long. Here we go. I'm 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 just yeah. looking at Deadline's Instagram. This is so funny. Oh. La Brea officially ending with abbreviated season three. What is La Brea? Never even heard of it. Blue Bloods to is end. Is it with, about dinosaurs? I have no idea. The picture I I can't tell from the picture. It's people in the picture, not dinosaurs, for what it's worth. Then we've got Blue Bloods to end with two part season fourteen airing in spring twenty twenty four and fall twenty twenty four. Thought that that show ended like eight years ago, at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Shadow and Bone, Glamorous, and Agent Elvis, among five series canceled by Netflix, never heard of any of them. I have heard of Shadow and Bone. Okay. Seal Team to end that with season it. seven on Paramount+. Plus. That seems like an AI-generated headline. <laughs> I'm gonna go on. Hold on. Let's see. Chat. Open Okay. Uh, create a headline. Oh, here we for go. <laughs> create a headline for a uh, pop culture website about a fictional TV show ending after its current season. Let's see what it says. Emotional farewell, fan favorite. T- oh, it doesn't. Let's see. Make up a title for the show. This is <laughs> happening in real time, everybody. It really sunset is. dreams. The bittersweet finale of Eclipse Heights leaves fans in awe. 
<laughs> wow. Uh, talk about that show. Season getting forty-two canceled. will be its last. <laughs> the cancellation of Eclipse Heights has left devoted. Oh, it's doing a whole big long thing. It's writing an entire article about Eclipse Heights. <laughs> Damn. What network? What Eclipse Heights was Eclipse Heights on. CW. Uh. As of my last knowledge, the update in January, Eclipse Heights is a fictional TV show. Oh, come on. Have some fun. Oh, anyway. get, <laughs> commit. What? Okay, Eclipse Heights. I We're making it happen. We have to make it happen. Eclipse Heights. That's our, that's our suggested idea. Look, Chad Michael Murray was fantastic in it. I'm so thrilled for his continued success. I'm just so sad that after season 25, it's going off the air. <laughs> it's leaving me in awe. And it's, and you know, I just hope it, it was so good to see Misha Barton back on TV. Oh. I, I hope she finds another. I think she's finally going to get that Emmy. I swear. She's overdue. Long overdue. <laughs> Long overdue. Yes. So, Dan, I, <laughs> what was your. I'm assuming you've seen Smoke Signals before. Uh, no. Oh, no, this is your first time seeing it. You just know his Sherman Alexie's literary work. I knew Sherman Alexie's work, and I had seen a couple of scenes from Smoke Signals. Oh. To, and, yeah, like, I'd seen a couple of scenes because it's, it's really good just to get the patterns of speech in his writing. Yeah. But I'd never actually seen the entire film. Did, uh, what kind of impression did it leave on you? I I really liked it. I definitely looked at it through that lens of the 1998 indie movie, you know, fascination. And I I I felt like knowing just knowing that it was was it was coming from an authentic indigenous voice. Yeah. And that's I I I think I appreciated it and, uh, you know, enjoy it. It's, it's a nice like road trip movie. Yeah. If it, it feels like it, it feels definitely like a screenplay that was written for, you know, like a, like grad school. Yeah. Final. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's nothing very complex. Taking, taking, yeah. you're taking a familiar uh, formula. Yeah. And, and then applying it where it hadn't previously been applied. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely which, feel which like... Which also made a... Well... Oh, and, sorry, if I can just add, and then I'll stop. But um, And I think that... the Although I do think that the idea of the road trip play just has a deeper meaning when we're talking about indigenous people and we're talking about the tribes, the tribal relocations the the sense of 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 having to move but almost but being but not moving voluntarily being being forced into that into that movement and forced into that action so i i felt that the road trip movie the idea of the road trip uh, along along with a lot of other things meant a lot more in this than just like okay well here's a you know a plot that we can apply and we'll make this work. Like it, it, it actually right. made a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, 
I think that, uh, you know, a road trip, especially with two characters, you know, one kind of being foisted upon the other, you know, Thomas joins Victor on this journey because he is bankrolling it because, you know, for Victor to take the bus down to Phoenix would be cost prohibitive. And Thomas says, I will give you the money. The only catch is you have to take me with you. And, uh, it's such a great way to stick these two people together who, you know, they have their very clear differences and also their very clear similarities. And it, for one, it's the similarities that kind of makes him pull away a little bit. You know, he, uh, he, Victor, you know, he really is, gets upset with Thomas because Thomas thinks that he has had this, you know, bond with Arnold, you know, there's this, he talks about this one time that he went to Denny's with him and, you know, he's told Victor that story like a hundred times and Victor's so tired of hearing it. And, you know, for Victor, his father was not a good dad to him. He was, he was abusive uh, physically and emotionally. He was not good to Victor's mom. He abandoned them in his eyes. He abandoned them. And, uh, and Thomas, you know, sees this person who, you know, and Thomas, I saved him, saved his sa- life. Well, literally saved his life. I mean, he was too young to remember. He's a baby. But, you know, that's part of his story. It's like he exists because this person let him exist by accident. I mean, when you see it happen, Arnold goes like, it's just like, you're a hero. And he's like, I didn't mean to be a hero. <laughs> Something along right. those lines. And. And he gets scared and he runs away. And, you know, for Thomas, that's a a life-defining moment that happened before he can form memories. And it's just like, you know, he grew up, you know, he's living with his grandmother. Uh, I don't remember. What, did it? Did they say what happened with his parents? I can't remember. Oh, they, they burned in the fire. They burned in the fire. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, he grew up with his grandmother who is perfectly cast. She's wonderful. They look mm-hmm. so much alike. Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> the glasses spot, spot and everything. On. Like they really. Just did the face. Great yeah. casting. Yeah. The smile. Absolutely. Because Thomas mm-hmm. has this big smile all the time. And um, yeah, he's he's fantastic. And, you know, he sees Victor as kind of like a brother figure. And Victor, you know, never felt like his father ever did anything for him, saved him. Uh, and to see the, to put them in a situation where they're forced alone with each other for such a long period of time is such a great way for them to kind of balance out, you know, their own identities and how they feel like they need to be seen as individuals, not just indigenous individuals, but individuals themselves uh, in context of this man arnold who you know they both kind of come from in a way so i thought that it was a really uh a really clever way to kind of make the the connections form and uh there's some really sweet moments in there when they you know when you finally see them start to get each other especially when victor comes around to thomas a little bit more uh it's it's really special and uh you know, Adam Beach and Evan Adams both did a, a really great job, you know, in these performances to to express that and to kind of bring us in. 
And uh, I don't know. I I enjoyed watching it, and and I felt like I really got invested in in their lives, which was uh, I, I wasn't sure, you know, going into it. And not just because it's people who come from, you know, I- indigenous ancestry. It's more of just like, I, this is a movie from the late 90s that doesn't have any big stars in it that I would recognize. Like, I think that there was like that mentality going into it, too, <laughs> where it's just like, yeah, this one completely, you know, was off my radar, you know, probably for the same reasons why. You know, a lot of uh, media about indigenous people is off of a lot of people's radars who aren't indigenous is because it's, you know, designed that way. No one's <laughs> no one's putting it on their radar. No, exactly. And so uh, I'm really glad that we, you know, chose this movie to focus on uh, for uh, for Idaho rather than Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> oh, it would have been a yeah. very different conversation. <laughs> I mean, full disclosure, I hate Napoleon Dynamite. So. I, I am not a Napoleon Dynamite fan. However, I feel like it would be a good discussion to talk about the state of Idaho. Probably. That, Probably, and, and that's, I'm glad that... And that's it. I Yes, and I am glad that we watched Smoke Signals. Oh, 100%. Uh, but Dan... What I what I wonder is, you know, how would you see this being brought back in 2023 going on 2024? Well, you know, and it's it, we're actually coming up right on the 25th anniversary of the release. It was released November 27th, 1998. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's so I, I thought about it a lot and thinking about Sherman Alexie's work and even though and I haven't read all of his work, but th- the themes re- reoccur, the char- character types recur. So I don't know that there's necessarily a call for like more adaptations of Sherman Alexi. I think what I would rather see, and, and this is this is really it, the Sherman Alexi controversy is really neither here nor there with this, but I want to see more things like reservation dogs. Yeah. I would like to see more, more, just more stories being told. Also more, more stories coming from different places and different tribes and in different times. Like right now uh, in theaters, we've got killers of the flower moon. So a story about the Osage. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that Osage. right. Osage. I think Osage. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I was. I mean, not I necessarily was contemplating uh, going to see it before we recorded this episode at some point, but I just didn't have the time. I mean, it is a three and a half hour right. movie, so not many people have the time in the first place. But I especially am curious to see more representation and stories about indigenous communities and and people who come from indigenous uh, ancestry. Well, and just more of the stories that were being erased and that weren't being told. Not and yes, the histories, but also just the 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 accomplishments and the and I'm not just talking about it in terms of film. In fact, I think film 
is probably the 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 form I would least prioritize, mm-hmm. but rather like giving giving artists you know, like Starlin Harjo of of Reservation Dogs the platform, giving them TV stage. Yeah, I I would love to see more, uh, th- you know, theater yeah. by indigenous people. Also, I want to I want to point out one thing just because you brought up uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I there was a video that came out recently where it's from the set and uh, Lily Gladstone is standing there with Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese. And she's just like looking up at the sky and she's like, it's a, there's going to be a tornado. I uh, there's a there's a tornado coming and like nobody could see what she saw it and everything and in the season one finale of Reservation Dogs I think that it's actually Gary Farmer's character is just like there's a tornado coming like he can sense it before anybody and of, and of mm. course the tornado comes and in reality Lily Gladstone was right a tornado came and it's like wow. you know minutes later a cyclone started to form and it was just like I uh, seeing the parallels. <laughs> It's just like this is you know this stuff actually happens. Lily Gladstone just like did did this, and they this show yeah you know, kind of saw that coming. So anyway, I I just I really liked that moment in the in the behind in the behind the scenes footage. Anyway, I'll have to check that out. But that's yeah. so that's my thing. Not no no specific like I want like where I like the indigenous Lynn not, not the indigenous Lynn Manuel Miranda, but you know what I mean. Like where are the indigenous voices in, in well musical theater? Sure, uh, I know that uh, a a major champion and he was a creator for Reservation Dogs. Taika Waititi was. Um, you know, yeah. he's a he's a major voice for indigenous voice. He's a voice for other indigenous voices, uh, specifically in New Zealand. But he brings that over into other countries. And he's a, you know, um, such a, an important filmmaker right now who is able to get things done. He's, you know, uh, he's mm. kind of trusted in Hollywood, probably because he's a hot dude. That doesn't hurt. But like. I, you know, when, and also he's hilarious, he's amazing, but when he is shepherding a project, um, it, it tends to do quite well. So, uh, we need more people like that. For sure. Well, yeah. And there's someone, there's someone who can like, you know, champion indigenous artists and get indigenous artists seen and get their work out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all about it. I completely agree. I think that for me, Smoke Signals, as I was doing more, you know, reading about it, I I realized that for people who are indigenous, it was, you know, a big movie for them. It's most likely in a lot of their collections. And I realized that the the two words hey Victor means something to a lot of people. <laughs> hey Victor. And uh, I feel like, uh, you know, a Victor Thomas, um, you know, uh, I'm good. Usually I'd say a remake for a singular thing, but I think a reboot would be an appropriate term for this because we usually reserve uh, the word reboot uh, for franchises. But I feel like this story does need to kind of be rebooted because that means it would be kind of freshened up a little bit and to have the story of you know victor thomas and arnold 
And uh, I feel like if it was made today, there were there would be some things that could be tweaked a little bit that would um, perhaps resonate more for modern audiences. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, maybe probably not a movie. I think a series would be uh, pretty great for this. You know, when you have any kind of road trip journey type of thing, you know, so many things can happen along the way that, uh, you know, prevent them from getting to their destination. And then, of course, getting to their destination is a whole entire thing. And then going back home is an entire other thing. Um, Tom Skerritt, if you're still acting, you could be part <laughs> of this. We love you. But, you know, uh, Evan Adams is also, um, you know, very active acting lately. I know that he was also in Reservation Dogs, maybe just in one episode. But, uh, you know, he's still still out there. I believe that Adam Beach is still acting. Um, Gary Farmer is still on Reservation Dogs or has been on Reservation Dogs recently. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, let me look at uh, Adam Beach's filmography and see. Yeah, he's still he's still. I, doing I, oh, whoa. Wait a second. 2023. There's something called Hey, Victor. What? Wait, in what? OK. A 2023 Canadian mockumentary comedy film directed by Cody Lightning and written by Lightning and Samuel Miller. The film stars Lightning as a fictionalized version of himself 25 years after his breakthrough role as young Victor in Smoke Signals. What? Whoa. This is happening right now. This is 2023. It was released. uh, Oh, it's only been at Tribeca and TIFF. So June and September. Okay, with his career having faded to the point that only roles being offered to him anymore are gay porn and films and films and pro fracking commercials for petrochemical companies, he hits upon a scheme to revive his career by creating and starring his own in his own smoke signal sequel, if he can only convince Adam Beach to participate in it. Dan, I'm serious. This is real. Wow. A mockumentary. Weird. Okay, and yeah, and G- Gary Farmer, Irene. Yeah, Bedard. so Cody Lightning played right. young Victor. This is wild, Dan. That is wild. I can't believe that I didn't even see this until just now. <laughs> Weird. This is happening in real time that we we're discovering <laughs> this. Uh, fascinating. I want to see this. Colin Mockery is in it. Yeah. Oh, Irene uh, oh, Bedard excellent. is back in it. Gary Farmer's in it. I mean, the, those two are both playing themselves. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to put a um, a link to the trailer in this episode's description. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, in this episode's description, you can find our link tree, which has uh, links to our social media stuff and our Tee Public store. The holidays are around the corner, so on and so forth. Fun stuff in there. Uh, and Dan, do you want to tell everyone what we're doing for our <laughs> Illinois episode? And spoiler for everyone, it's not I Eclipse do. Heights. I'm sorry to say it. It is not Eclipse Heights. No. Uh, however, we are going to be traveling to... Uh, the greater Chicago area, specifically the suburb of Aurora, Illinois. <laughs> it's Friday night. It's 10 p.m. It's time for Wayne's World. Party time. Party Excellent. on. <laughs> Party time. Excellent. Wayne's World. Wayne's World 2. 
Oh, the, the wonderful cast of characters and cameos from Cooper to Chris Farley. I needed to finish the alliteration there. Oh, yeah, there you go. Alice Cooper, that is not... If it was Chris Cooper, though, that would have yeah, been something else. I, but anyway... Yeah. For some we, reason, when you said yeah, Cooper, so, my mind went to Chris Cooper first, and then I was like, all right, Alice Cooper. To... Alice yeah. Cooper, yeah. So uh, anyway, Wayne's World, uh, com- comedy classics for us, and we'll be... And it's, you know, hey, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of Wayne's World 2, so... Wow. Oh, my God. That's true. <laughs> Oof. Party time, excellent. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Dan, as you are headed to do your famous jump at Snake River Canyon on a rocket cycle, I wish you a good journey. Good journey.